the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimai, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as light and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. Well, let's read a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The whole gospel. Some people actually got saved and um, in all honesty, even after they are they, they have saved, they have not heard the whole gospel. It's kind of controversial to really pinpoint the exact things that must be heard. Even though the Bible gives us a few clues, but there are many Christians who are very ignorant about the gospel and they are still saved. You wonder what they did here, but then what they heard was just enough to get them saved. But now that you are saved, and of course if you are listening to me and you are not saved, it is important that you listen more attentively so that you can really understand the concept of the gospel and then apply faith for salvation or for any other thing that Jesus offers. Are we still together? I'll read from verse 1 to verse 6. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. Say this after me. I have received the gospel and I stand on the gospel by which also you are saved. Everybody say, I've been saved by the gospel. It now says, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, so died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose, please I'm still reading verse 4, help me with it again, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, which is actually Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. And then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. The whole gospel. Of course, what we read is just a summary of the fundamental element of the gospel. But I'll soon explain to you why we are calling this particular teaching the whole gospel. Everybody say the whole gospel. Let's quickly pray. Once again, we rely on your spirit, dear Lord, to brood over us and to give us understanding and illumination. Jesus, you died for us and you rose with us. Let this be clear after this teaching. And let the implications of your resurrection be well understood. In Jesus' name we pray. If you ask me what's the major 
difference between the early church and the modern church is, I'll tell you that they were more convinced about the message of the gospel. There was a conviction that they had concerning the message of the gospel that we seem not to have. And that's why an opportunity to hear the gospel is a good thing. Helps you to have a stronger, deeper conviction in the message. You see, the message is as potent as your conviction about it. The message is true. That's not an argument. Um, while we may have not been there when Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead, we have proofs, there are enough evidences, and I will show you a few of them. But just because the message is true does not mean it will work absolutely, or it will work completely, or it will work thoroughly. What determines its effectiveness is the conviction you have in the message. We say the gospel is true. Jesus died. But is there a conviction in you that Jesus died? Now, for the subject of Jesus' death, every of his apostles had no doubt that he died. There was a conviction because they saw him die. It's called eyewitness account. They saw him die. You did not see him die. And maybe because of that, you may not be too convinced. You may believe that it's just one of those things that people write in the book that Jesus died. And many other religions do not even believe that Jesus died. Islam believes in Jesus, but they don't believe he died. They believe he just disappeared into the heavens when it was done. And so that is what informs the basis of their belief and also what informs the basis of their experience, including whatever they will experience after their physical existence on the earth. This message is true, but how convinced are you? Why many people do not share the gospel? Because there's no conviction, honestly speaking. Why would you want to market a product you are not sure of? You're not sure. If you are sure of it, if you are certain about it, there's a way you will speak about it. But many Christians, in all honesty, are not convinced. That's what really separates the early church from the modern church. The early church could die for the gospel. They felt it was so true, it was worthy of their death. The modern church can't do it. We are not too sure. We feel it might just be a parable. It may just be a fable. What if it's not true? What if we get to heaven and discover it was all just a joke? <laughs> now, the reason we have to hear the gospel again and again and again and again is because our convictions need to be deepened. If our conviction is not deepened, then the experience that should follow the gospel will not be our portion, even though we believe to a large extent. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11 speaks about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. Listen, Jesus has suffered and the repercussion is that you are supposed to operate in certain measures and dimensions of glory. Why there is no much glory is because there is no much conviction. Why there is no conviction is because the message is often not heard thoroughly. Many Christians only hear the gospel during Easter. During Easter. Once in a year. That's that's a very scanty, scanty way to hear the gospel. The gospel is the bulk of the Christian message. In fact, it's the bulk of the Bible message, the gospel. When the Bible speaks in Hebrews chapter 1, 
um, and verse 1, God in sundry times and diverse manners spoke to us through the prophets. But in these days has spoken to us through the Son who he has made heir of all things. What he's saying is that all that the prophet was saying, or we saying, all that the law was saying was a summary of what Jesus said and did. They were just explaining the gospel in diverse ways. All the rituals that happened in the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon. All was a pointer to the gospel. Are we still together? So you, you, you see this subject of the gospel, you should master it as a Christian. If you have mastered the first eleven of Manchester United, you should also master the gospel. Amen. You have mastered the entire album of Dusi Oyekon. You should also master the gospel. If you don't know the gospel, then what do you know? Abba, this is the basis of your life. So when we speak about the gospel, we are not just talking about the events. Because somebody says, well, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's true. But if I'm going to preach the gospel to a sinner, I'm not just going to go and say, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead. That, does not, that is not thorough. That is not whole. That is not rich. Jesus died, and he was buried, and he rose from the dead. I've told you the gospel. That's not thorough. So you have to understand what is the implication of his death. Jesus died, so what? You see the first person to die? Jesus was buried, so what? What's the big deal about his burial? Jesus was also dead, so did Lazarus. What makes his own special? If you don't understand the implication of those acts, and you can't, I know the gospel. Uh-uh. No, because the gospel is not just a physical thing. Are you listening to me? The soldiers who crucified Jesus pierced his side. They still did not know the gospel. You don't know the gospel just because you physically witnessed his death. Uh-uh. There are many things. In fact, the bulk of the gospel did not happen in the realm of the earth. That's why the epistles are very, very useful in explaining what actually transpired. For instance, one of the most controversial questions in Christian age or Christian history is where was Jesus after he died? And I'll try to answer it a bit. Where did Jesus go? We know his body was pain, but we know he had a spirit now. So where was his spirit? And where was his soul? Did he go to heaven? Was he in Abraham's bosom? Was he in paradise? Did he go to hell? See, the bulk of what actually is called the gospel did not transpire in physical observation. That is why when Jesus rose from the dead, he was still on the earth for 40 days, teaching them what happened after he died. 40 days. You know, he told them in John 16, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them. When the spirit of truth comes, he will show you all things. So there are many things he was trying to explain to them, they could not get it. Because this will not happen just by physical observation. Even his death, they still didn't understand. So when he died, they were crying. He had told them oh, that I would die and I will be buried and I will rise again. They were still crying. Because they didn't get it. He rebuked them in Luke 24. He said, all fools and slow in had to believe. Didn't Christ have to suffer just as the prophet prophesied and eventually rise? So even after all the explanation he gave to them, they still didn't get it. So the, the gospel is not just eyewitness account, what we saw physically. Jesus died. So the excuse of, I, I was not there when Jesus died, so I, I don't know the gospel, I don't believe the gospel, is nothing. It's a revelation. Everybody say the gospel. 
It's a revelation. And we need to understand it thoroughly. Because all of these act- actions um, have implications for Satan. There's an implication. Jesus died, so what? How did Satan receive the news of Jesus' death? Did he rejoice? Was he sad? <laughs> did he mock? Jesus' death had an implication for those in hell. Jesus' death had an implication for those in Abraham's bosom. Jesus' death had an implication for those who believed in him under the law of Moses. So did his burial, so did his resurrection, so did his ascension. So we want to turn. Now, if you teach the gospel every day, the rapture come, in all honesty, it may not be enough. Because you have no idea the kind of things that happened under the earth, in the heavens. The kind of things that are still happening right now just because of the gospel. It's a massive story. It's the whole story, in fact. It's the whole story. So we, we can't really overstretch it or overemphasize it. Are we still together? And Paul was very, very... Ah, the way Paul approached the gospel, it was very sacred. In Galatians chapter 1, in fact, it's one of the few times you see Paul cursing. He says, curse is anyone who preaches another gospel. Because the gospel is too sacred to adulterate it, to edit it, to reform it, to modernize it. Hey! It is the whole message of God. If you misunderstand the gospel, you misunderstand everything. <laughs> so you don't see Paul cursing too much. But in Galatians 1, he said, anybody that preaches another gospel, even if he's an angel, or even if it's me, let him be accursed. Because, and you see that right now there are different versions of the gospel. Different versions. That's why we must, we must master the subject. You, you must be a professor of the gospel. Are you listening to me? Not because you are a preacher like I am, but because this is your life. This is your life. If you don't know the gospel, what do you do? What do you now know? Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, it is by this gospel you are saved. Now, see, you see, the gospel is everything. You have to make an attempt to, to know it, to master it, to comprehend it fully. The whole gospel. By this also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Go ahead to verse 3 verse 4. I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received. So Paul says, I also received this thing. And in transmitting, sometimes there can be editings. There was a social experiment that was done. There was a queue about, about 12 people. And they were supposed to pass a message from the 12th person to the first person. So the person began the message. I think it was supposed to be a demonstrative message. So the number 12 on the queue, what he received was this. Everybody look at me. What he received was this. So he was supposed to pass that on to number 11. So he passed it to number 11 according to what he thought he received. By the time he got to number 3, what they had received was this. Uh, because in between the passing on, there has been a few editing, a few adjustments. So what the original person first received was this. By the time we got to the number 2, it was done like this. So in passing down this message, a lot of things of a lot of waters have passed under the bridge. But we have to that's why we have the original template. Go back there, read it again, hear it again. I would encourage you, don't let this Easter end 
without going through the accounts, at least the physical accounts, in the latter part of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read it again. Remind yourself, this is your life. This is why you are saved. Except you have believed in vain. So, the whole gospel. Now, I quoted a scripture um, some minutes ago. I'd like you to see it yourself. And um, let's take a few lessons from it. Luke 24 and verse 19. And then we'll go on to verse 24. And then verse 44 also. And he said to them, what things? This was the account I mentioned previously. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and what? Before God and all the people. Okay. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Go ahead to verse 24. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Go ahead, verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, everybody say, at Moses. What is Moses? Well, if, if, if somebody says, show me Moses in the Bible, what, where will you open? Genesis, the first five books. Alright, so when it says beginning at Moses, it's talking about beginning from Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's just, instead of mentioning the name, the title of the book, it's mentioning the author of the book. Do you understand that? So beginning at Moses, Jesus began to explain himself from Genesis. And as a Christian, your Christian intelligence must be that robust that you can explain Jesus from Genesis. Because some of you think Jesus came in Matthew. But you don't know that from Genesis he was there all the while. So he, he picked up the book and said, let me show you now. From Genesis, this is me, this is me, this is me. This thing that you thought was that thing, it was actually me. This is me, this is me. The Bible is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus. It's, the, the gospel is the central theme of the Bible. You must master it. You can't be saying you are reading Bible, reading Bible, you don't understand gospel. What do you call it? Financial dominion. Mountain takeover. What are you reading? And the reading must deepen your conviction. If you must be so persuaded about the message. Ah! Oh. The apostles were persuaded. They threatened them. If you preach again, who will kill you? They say, ah, forget it. We saw it. And then there are other proofs. The gospel is true. The conviction was too thorough for anybody to threaten them out of it. Now because of ice cream, you know one comes serve Jesus again. Because person offend you for church. You know one serve Jesus again. Your conviction is too shallow. And it's the major difference. This is the passion that we practice Christianity with. It's because of the conviction we have of the gospel. The commitment the early church showed is because of the conviction. Those guys had conviction. They beat them, flogged them. They went away jubilating. Thank God, though, I can't even suffer for his name's sake. What? What did they know? What did they read? What did they see? The gospel. The gospel. And the conviction was deep. So by much reading, by much hearing, we understand these things. Jesus had been explaining to them, they did not get it. He told them, I will die. 
He told them, I will be buried. He told them, I will rise again. They didn't get it. They couldn't get it because the Holy Spirit was not available for absolute comprehension. You have received the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons you receive the Holy Spirit is to understand the gospel. It's not just to speak in tongues, it's to understand the gospel. To understand the gospel thoroughly, completely. That will now translate to a conviction that translates in a behavior that is a witness to the gospel. From Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and indicated that he would have gone further. Let's go ahead to verse 44 here. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. The phrase, while I was still with you, is when I had not died and I was still with you in my previous body. I will explain what I mean by previous body. At this point, there was a different vibe about Jesus. There was a different feel about Jesus. Are we still together? This Jesus, you could not lock him in a room. He will walk through walls. This is fashion. So he was reminding them of when I was still with you. That is my previous version. I used, I used to teach you something. This is what I was trying to teach you. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you. That all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So we have law of Moses, prophets, Psalms. All these books witnessed the gospel, spoke about the gospel. You cannot just read your Psalms for personal protection. Amen. In the psalm, there is the gospel. You have to identify that. This one is the gospel. It sounds like just a psalm of David, but actually, it's the gospel. Now, listen to me. Very closely, please follow. When the inspired writer spoke, whether it was David or Isaiah or Jeremiah, some of the things that they spoke about were just natural things of life. David would run away from Saul and he would just begin to sing a song. My soul thirsts for the Lord. When will I be saved from my enemy? However, what we are told is that Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So although David thought he was talking about himself, he was lamenting about Saul, he was actually being inspired to prophesy about Jesus. Are you listening to me? Your spiritual intelligence must be able to this one, David is saying they talk about himself, but not lie. Not Jesus, actually. This thing, not Jesus. And you see that all through scriptures, the epistles quoting the Psalms, the prophets, the law, showing Jesus from all those places. Meanwhile, when those guys spoke, they did not even really know what they were saying. They just spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. When of them really understand the implication of what they said? Isaiah prophesied a lot about Jesus. Isaiah was the one who said, A virgin will conceive. Uh, he did not understand the implication. So you see in um, in um, First Peter 1, where it says, searching of what manner and time the prophets prophesied of the salvation which we now have. They did not have the full understanding of the subject, but many of them were just moved and they just said, they just said. Some of these conversations were even in the middle of natural issues. For instance, a prophet can be warning Israel about sin and be saying, you people should not sin. Ha, don't sin. Sin is not good. And suddenly, 
his mind will be taken over and he will begin to prophesy of the salvation that will come through Jesus. He will not, he will not be aware of the full implication of that, but they will document it. And then when Jesus now came, began to show that when that man was inspired to talk like that, this is actually what he was talking about me. This was what he was referring to. Are we still together? So, Jesus, give me um, Luke 24, verse 44 again. Spoke to you while I was with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Verse 45 and 46. And he opened their understanding. So, prior to this time, they did not have the understanding. The word opened from a little study that I observed is actually to launch. Everybody say launch. Bless it. This suit now, the launch and the first time I did wear them. And they launched the suit. So, to open the understanding is to launch the understanding. They had no prior understanding before. Jesus had been telling them several things, but they couldn't just get it. They couldn't just get it. Then he began to open their understanding that they might comprehend these scriptures. And by scriptures he refers to the, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Okay, so now I want to show you a few Old Testament writings, Psalms, Prophets, Moses, that speaks of the gospel. And you need to see that. You have to spiritually discern it to recognize that. Oh, so this was the gospel. This was actually a prophecy about the works of Jesus, about the achievements of Jesus. Let's look at a few um, Psalms. Psalm 8 and verse 4. Read to us, maybe 7, thereabouts. Let's read together. 1, 2, Go. Psalm from you know, a casual perspective, you may not get it. What is man that you are mindful of it? And maybe you say, Oh, who am I that you are mindful of me? And that's true. God is mindful of you. Amen. Yeah. However, 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 let's see how this psalm is quoted by the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 5 down to verse 9. I'll read verse 5 and continue reading. For he has not put the word to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Want to go?
first. But we see who. So you can read some some eight, and you, you are thinking of Genesis. You put all things under him, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. But 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 but, and the writer begins to intelligently unravel the the spirituality of that, the revelation of that verse. That it's not Adam. Amen. Come on, it's not Adam. And he says, but we see Jesus. So, go back to Psalm chapter 8 again and verse 4. And then follow the conversation as describing Jesus. What is man that you are mindful of him? Describes the ministry of Jesus to save man. He's talking about the fact that God was preoccupied. The word mindful is preoccupied with, he was obsessed with saving man. It was all his mission, all his purpose, all his agenda. I must save man. I must save man. I must save man. That was the preoccupation of God. That's what it means. That what is man that you are mindful of him? Then he goes on to say, and the son of man that you visit him. Now, the visiting here refers to Jesus taking on flesh and coming to the earth. Come on. Some of you think visiting is when, you know, Genesis, God came in the cool of the day. I was talking to Adam. Nah, but we see Jesus. So in visiting man, he came. Are we still together? Verse 5. You have made him a little lower than the angels. Speaking about the possibility of Jesus dying. Because angels don't die. It was at the point of death, he was made lower than the angels. And so in the frailty of his human nature, he was made lower than the it's Jesus. It's a Jesus conversation. Are you following? And then you have crowned him with glory and honor. That's the resurrection. All of this is a, it's just talking about Jesus. But if you don't read closely, you will just think in Adam. So, this way, some of the scriptures, Jesus opened to them and said, okay, okay, this was me. This was me. It's not David. It's not, forget Adam. It's not Abraham. It's me. I was the subject here. I was the topic here. Are you still listening? So, when you read the Bible, do this. Especially with the Old Testament. Try and see, are you sure this is just about Jonah? You know, the Jonah story, you can be distracted. And there are many lessons to learn. When Jesus now came and said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so would the Son of Man now, have you ever heard of Jonah as a prophecy of Jesus? So you have to intelligently know. All those documentations were not just to tell about Jonah. Jonah is not the big deal of the Bible. Neither is David, neither is Abraham. The big deal is who? But we see Jesus. So he began to explain to them from scriptures, Psalms, Proverbs, the law, the prophets about himself. Not all scriptures, but the scriptures that were written about him. Not all scripture was written about him. Some of them, Joseph was a real human being. And there are some elements of Joseph's life that actually is a foreshadow of Jesus. But then, some of the things documented there was so that you can see Jesus. Everybody say, but I see Jesus. I see Jesus. Uh, let's look at another psalm here and see Psalm 16. I just want to show you that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. And when Jesus rose from the dead, this was one of the things he was taking his time to do. He didn't just rise from the dead and disappear. For 40 days he was teaching them, showing from scriptures. Some of you have been changed by one hour of teaching. You had one hour 
someone on YouTube and according to you, your life turned around. The man of God is so anointed, one hour of his words turned your life around. Beautiful. Now imagine Jesus teaching every day for 40 days. And this is not just Jesus in the previous version. Jesus, Jesus the resurrected Jesus. Do you know the... That's why when the apostles... When you see them preach the gospel, there was revelation. The person who teach them is a book. <laughs> but you also have the Holy Ghost to comprehend the gospel. And you must... I think you must take interest in this subject. This is, this is life. This is the Christian life. To pick up songs of Solomon and explain the gospel from it. Amen. It's not a romantic book. You really think God is the in the romance. You think that's why I put songs of Solomon. So you can look for what to use for your wedding, wedding what? Toast. You, you think that's why I put songs of Solomon there? It's a Jesus book. All, every, all scripture given by the inspiration of God is towards Jesus. Towards Jesus. Towards Jesus. Look at stories like roots. What's, what's in roots? It was just to show you the connection, the genealogy tracing of Jesus. Understand, the scripture is a Jesus book. Amen. It's a Jesus book. Psalm 16. Now if you read verse 1, let, let's try and take from the beginning so you can see what I'm talking about when I say the conversation starts from a natural, natural plane and then suddenly it evolves into prophetic utterances. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, my goodness is nothing apart from you. And for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied. Who is sin after another God? Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inhabitants and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines are falling to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inhabitants. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in nine seasons. I have set the Lord before me because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in show. What show here? Now, very dicey issue. It could refer to the grave. It could refer to hell. Um, it's, it's, it's another conversation entirely. But it refers to the place of the dead, whether physically or spiritually. Are we still together? Yes, now, will you allow your Holy One to see corruption? You will show me the part of life in your presence, its fullness of joy. You know that one, Abby? Come on, you know that one, Abby? You know what? Yeah, okay. Some of you are playing church on me now. Do you know that? Have you heard that statement before? In your presence, there's fullness of joy. That's what I meant by you know that one, Abbe. Verse 12. Oh, verse 11 hands there. Your right hand are pleasures. Now you can read this and you read Psalm 16 and you want to quote Psalm 16, verse 11. Meanwhile, verse 10 speaks about the experience of Jesus. In preaching to the first converts, this was where Peter picked the sermon from. In Acts chapter 2. 
he quoted this place and said, certainly David was not speaking about himself. But him as a prophet or operating in the prophetic ministry spoke about Jesus. You will not leave my soul in the place of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. He's speaking about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. His body did not decay. Amen. It's not a David sound. It's a Jesus sound. And so, you, you, okay, let, me, let, me, let me try and point it out exactly in Acts chapter 2. I need you to see this. Uh, Acts 2 and verse 24. Just see, once again, look, in the, when we quoted Psalm chapter 8, we quoted the Hebrew rendition so you can understand the spiritual implication. Now, we have read it in Psalm 16. Look at how Peter, after being enlightened by the Holy Ghost, now reads it. Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Amen. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, that's in Psalm 16, and my tongue was glad, moreover my flesh also will rest in hope. You remember reading this in Psalm 16, right? Verse 28. Verse 27. For you will not leave my soul in hate. What we read in Psalm 16. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Man and brother, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that is both dead and buried. And is both with us, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, I know that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, not him, but the fruit of his body. According to the flesh, he will raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ. If you read that Psalms, you would think, oh, in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. He's talking about the resurrection. Amen. So, you, you see, when you go through those scriptures, be very intelligent. Though. It's not everything that is just a David story, a Solomon story. There are many of those prophecies of Jesus here. Glory to Jesus. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You remember Jesus saying that, isn't it? He's not in David. He's not in about David. David was just, he was just rehearsing the speech of Christ. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and the night season, and I'm not silent. It's beginning to sound like Job now. But you are holy and thrown in the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered, they trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I'm a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue. This is exactly what they said to Jesus. He said, the Son of God, let him come down. 
says he delighted. You see, it was just a, it was just showing you what will happen to Jesus. It wasn't a David experience. And even though it was a David experience in a limited sense, it was just a prophetic picture of the ultimate Jesus experience. Are we still together? Isaiah 53. There are so many of them, but Isaiah 53 is probably one of the most famous. Who has believed our report and to whom has the harm? Actually, if you want to understand this best, you may want to read from Isaiah 52. The Bible was not written in chapters, so let's read Isaiah 52. You would now see the link here, because the real thing that was the inspiration of the prophet began from verse 52 and verse 13. Hallelujah to Jesus. Behold, my servant shall be prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was mad more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, kings shall shut their mouth at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our reports unto whom has the harm of the Lord been revealed? For you shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he shall he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of many sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. I was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression, and was bruised for our iniquities. Justicement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Continue the reading. Hallelujah. Now, there, there's no name when the prophet was, was speaking. You can say, maybe it was just one of those servants of God. But so that you will not be in doubt, the Apostle Peter makes reference to this portion of scriptures in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. 
For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. And the servants we read about in Isaiah suffered a lot. Is that not so? Leaving an example that you follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, began to quote. Who, when he was revived, did not revive in return. When he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Quoting Isaiah 53, For you were like sheep going astray. You remember that in Isaiah 53? But I have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, Peter makes it clear that the person that was being spoken about in Isaiah 53 is the shepherd of your soul, who is actually Jesus. Are we clear on that? And we will still get back to Isaiah 53, and actually almost every verse has such a rich implication. Such a rich implication. Let's do Uzziah. Zechariah 12.10, and then Uzziah chapter 6. Zechariah 12.10. And upon on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications. And they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. And so in the day the soldier picked up his spear and pierced the side of Jesus, he did not, he probably wasn't aware that there was a prophecy of the piercing of the Son of God. But all things were done that the scripture might be fulfilled. Hallelujah. Amen. And look at Isaiah chapter 6. This one is very amazing because it once again confirms that the death, burial, and resurrection is not just also about Jesus. It's about Jesus and you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I say glory to God. Look at this. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn. Everybody say he has torn. But he will heal what? Who will he heal? He has stricken, but he will bind us up. What is he talking about? After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, Hallelujah. Resurrection, resurrection is talking here. It's you and Jesus. That's the us. Glory to God. So I'm just saying, the gospel is all over scriptures, all over scriptures. As you read, take note, take note, take note. Let us, however, begin to progress here because I want to. Some of these elements that are foundational events of the gospel, I want to begin to pieces them now in pieces and try and understand the implication of them. Are we still together? First of all, let's talk about the incarnation. And um, I know that the incarnation is not mentioned in the Gospels as defined as Paul. Paul says Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, and that's the Gospel. However, it will not really be fair to talk about the Gospel without talking about the incarnation. What is the incarnation? When you hear incarnation, what 
notorious King James word in the middle of that phrase comes to your mind? Alright, I think I'm speaking too much grammar. Alright, so let me reset. Everybody say, incarnation. There is a notorious King James word that is traced to that phrase, incarnation. So, incarnation, you see carnal in the middle. Is that not so? Carnal refers to flesh. So, the incarnation is God putting on flesh. Is Jesus, as described by the writer in John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That was his visitation which we read in Psalm chapter 8. Are we still together? So the incarnation is a, it's an important truth of the gospel and I'll show you why. So, for Jesus to achieve what he achieved, he had to come in only one way. The only way he would come was as God and as man at the same time. There was no other way Jesus would have succeeded in his works of salvation if he did not come both as God and as man. Say Jesus is God. And Jesus is man. Say it again. Jesus is God. And Jesus is man. It's still a mystery. First Timothy 3.15 calls it the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. Now great is the mystery of godliness. It's a mystery that how was Jesus both God and man but that is what it is. And I will show you why it had to be like that. Okay, where do we start from? Let's start from the fact that we have to agree that it was born by a virgin. That was, now, some of the proofs that these realities are true is that they were prophesied before time. Hello? If I tell you, by next week, Saturday, 2 p.m. exactly, there will be snow in the Ogomosho, what will you say? Say you dey wine me, me. You get the gist, Abby? Now, if on Saturday it happens, now if I've been saying this, I said it last year, I said it last month, I said it last week, and then that day, snow now happens. Every other person may think it was a natural occurrence. Hello? Taboya, it is our tongue for good sure. But you would not remember that somebody was to say it all. That means it's not natural. It's a sign. Are we together? So now, you, you say Jesus was born of a virgin, and you may say, well, what if there's no big deal about it? It's a big deal because it had never happened, and it was prophesied consistently in the prophets. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. A virgin will conceive. Now, this was several years. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Everybody say, a sign. A virgin shall conceive. Isaiah lived hundreds of years before Jesus. So, now the conception of Jesus is a very important part of the gospel story. Because if he was not conceived of a virgin, then he was not God. And the only way he could have conquered sin 
was that he had to be God, even though he was also man. Are we still together? So this, this virgin conception story is not an attempt to immortalize Mary or to deify Mary. It's just an affirmation that it was no fluke, it was no coincidence. It was something that got prepared from the very foundation of the world, planned out and executed in due time. Luke chapter 1 and verse 33. I want to read the conversation between Mary and the angel. Luke chapter 1, verse 33. And it will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? The word know is to be sexually acquainted. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One. So the phrase Holy One describes the sinlessness of Jesus. Are we still together? It has to be that way. I'll show you why soon. Who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 36, Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, also has conceived the son in an old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called Mara. Verse 37, For God, nothing will be impossible. Mary said, Behold the servants of the Lord, let it be according to me. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, so Jesus had to be born by a virgin. That automatically removes the possibility of a natural influence in his conception. Because once there was a natural influence, he was no longer God. So Mary did not contribute her eggs, neither did Joseph contribute his sperms. Jesus just needed a container to grow in as a baby, and Mary made herself available. Are we still together? Once again, if he did not come as God, he could not conquer sin. No man can live sinless. And that's why you must appreciate the wisdom of God to send Jesus both as God and both as man. Are we still together? So the incarnation refers to God in flesh. God veiled in flesh. God covered. This is not me. This is the package version. Hello? My suit is making me look all tush, right? And posh, right? But this is not me. My wife knows the real me. And even that me is not still the real me. Because even this flesh is also a packaging. There's an inward man. Glory to God. <laughs> so Jesus came, God veiled in flesh. Why did he come as God? That was the only way he could conquer sin. Why did he come as man? That was the only way he could die. And if he did not die, well, there would be no salvation. Do you understand now? He, he came as God, yes, but he came as man. He had to combine both qualities. All God, all man. If he didn't come as all God, he would not have been sinless. From conception, sin would have been in him. And his life would be traced to Adam. And although he's called the last Adam, that is not his fundamental identity. So the Holy Ghost had to come upon Mary, and then she was able to house and host Jesus and give back to him. However, he still had to come as man so that he can die. 
Let me just give you a little, just a hint, but you can go and study for that. And I'll probably explain. Okay, let me wait. But one of the reasons he came as man is, okay, explained in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Let's look, look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Why didn't he come as an angel? You will soon see that shortly. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Amen. Amen. So angels don't die. Are we clear? Now, the form that Jesus, the flesh that Jesus put on, was the kind of flesh that Adam had before he fell. Follow closely. This first flesh was not a resurrected flesh. Are we together? However, it was also not defiled flesh. It was the flesh that Adam had before the fall. Come on, are we together? Adam's flesh received mortality. Death entered his flesh after the fall. Before the fall, there was nothing like death, sickness in Adam's body. Do you understand that? That was the original, that was the first flesh version that Jesus took up. Without sin but capable of dying when sin is applied. I will, will soon understand for that. Don't worry. Don't worry. You know, although Adam was innocent, he was not immortal. Hello? If he had eaten of the tree of life, he would have lived forever, which means irredeemable, unconvertible. So, he came... Originally, Adam was created innocent, not righteous, innocent. His choices eventually allowed mortality to consume his flesh. So Jesus was like that, without sin. That was the, the kind of garment as flesh that he came with. Okay, okay, okay. So we said, but that could still die. You see, the garment the angels wear is not the garment that Jesus wore at the first time. The garment the angels wear does, cannot experience death. So, he was made a little lower than the angels so that he can die. Are you getting that now? Yes, Verse 10. It was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Sufferings here refer to the sufferings of his death. For both he who sanctifies and those who have been sanctified are all one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. This is also a psalm. Amen. Amen. It's also a psalm. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here, and I, the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself like us shared in the same, that through death he might destroy the power, destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And release those who through fear of death with all lifetime subject to bondage. Okay, let me just say something here and then we'll move on. Jesus had to come as man so that he can die. It was only through death that he could also release those who were subject to death. In Jewish days, if a property is sold off, are we still together? If I have a property and I sell it off, the only person that can buy it back is my king's man. Follow me closely. 
Kingsman refers to brethren. Everybody say brethren. So we were sold to sin and death. And we needed to be redeemed, bought back. However, if Jesus came as an angel, he had no legal right to buy us back. Because an angel is not a kingsman to a human being. Come on, are you following me? So, in the, in the, in the gates of the city, when you want to buy back a property, the only person who has the legal right to do it is a kingsman, the nearest kingsman. So, for instance, if a woman is married and her husband dies, the only person, the first person that has the right to marry her again is the brother of the husband. You understand why brethren is important now in this conversation? So if Jesus came as an angel, he had no legal right to redeem us. He couldn't buy us back as a stranger. He had to be a brethren or a brother. The only way he can become a brethren is that he took up flesh and blood. Are we still together? So, the, 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 so well, we have entered into the redemption conversation, but we'll just continue. Let's talk about, I've spoken about the incarnation. Um, Let's just move on to the death now, which is also a central theme of the gospel. So, the idea of the incarnation is that you must know that he was both man and God. If I've told you why he had to be like that. If you remove any of those things, it's no, it's no more gospel. The death of Jesus is probably the most um, popular theme of the gospel. And um, yes, the death of Jesus is in scriptures, in fact, is the most emphasized. Ah, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. Maybe not the most emphasized. But, well, I think that amongst Christians, we say, Why are you saved? People will easily say, Jesus died for me. I may not be so. And, um, that's true, but I need you to understand that, well, for in many, in many contexts, the death of Jesus was just a means to an end. And some of you would say things like, Jesus died and said, it is finished. Well, if it is finished, why did he rise from the dead? Hello? So, it is finished does not mean I finished the work. Uh-uh. The work continued. <laughs> he descended into hell. Work continued. He rose from the dead. Work continued. He ascended. Then you can say work in a sense finished. Nobody said after the ascension. Do you understand me? Yes, so, well, we, now, I will explain thoroughly the implication of the death, but you must also understand, beyond the death, the death was a vehicle, actually. The death was a vehicle. Jesus couldn't access hell without death. And so he needed a vehicle of death. So you must also understand that it was not just physical death that made Jesus his death a big deal. There was also the element of spiritual death. Separation from God. My God, why has thou forsaken me? Because if it's just that Jesus died, many people have died. Jesus' death was not just a physical thing. Are you following me? Yes, but let's talk a bit about Jesus' death here. Um, I think the big question here is that why did Jesus have to die? Kilo Letonia, what's the big deal? We said that Jesus died to forgive our sins. Jesus died for our sins. You must be able to explain how that really makes any meaning. If I offend you, how will you forgive me? 
Sister Ella, I see a mosquito on your left cheek. And I give it to you hot in an attempt to kill the mosquito. But you are offended. Which of these methods of forgiveness will you prefer? Forgive me now or what's your account number? Okay, I wanted to confirm something. You like that method of forgiveness? It's a more compensatory. Instead of just saying sorry now, sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you need to understand the gravity of sin if you want to appreciate Jesus' death. You cannot make a sense out of Jesus' death if you don't understand the gravity of woman's sin. Some of you just think that Adam's sin was just kilo she, he ate three. He chopped apple. Waiting God the vex for. Now he comes Jesus can't die because person chopped apple. <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> okay, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't that simple. What happened was that Adam's sin was high treason and it was a rebellion against God by corroboration. I think that's the word of is it collaboration. I'm not sure which of them. Let me stay with the safe one that I'm familiar with. Collaboration with Satan, which was God's arch enemy. Let me make it a bit more practical here. Let's say I have an enemy. Who is my enemy here that can volunteer? No, Abba. Abba wants to volunteer as my enemy. Even in example, could it work? Anybody wants to volunteer? Okay, brother, man here. He's my enemy. He says I'm too black. He is fair. We are one and opposite. And then I have a son, Perez. And then I create a powerful organization called Judah and Sons Enterprise. It is worth $38 million in assets. And then one day, my boy is grown up and I give him the keys of my company. I say, run it. It's now yours. It's my company, but it's Judah and Sons. You're my son. Perez, run it. And then the man goes to Judah and say, Guy, Alpha. And then Perez say, Yes, can I help you? Say, me and you collab. Say, Kolobasa. Say, your papa don't know what he do. This is the way they worth $38,000 million. If me and you collab, if he enter $100 million, we will collab. Brother Ma is my arch enemy. Amen? Amen. And then Brother Perez now says, hey, okay, make a paper, make you sign. Say yes. And then he signs off the business. Not just to anybody, to my arc. Now, if Brother Perez now says, Daddy, sorry, does that buy back the company? Understand the gravity of sin. It's not just a, okay, let's just apologize to God. <laughs> do, you, do you know what happened when Adam sinned? Apologize to God does not buy anything back. Do you get it now? So what you say Jesus had to die, he gets why? It's not just about, say, because it's a merciful God. We just say sorry. Hey, sorry does not bring back what was sold off. So, God will have to buy back, or I will have to buy back the company, yet in a legit way. I cannot go and beat Brother Ima, because Brother Ima actually signed documents. He has proof that it was sold to him. So I cannot just go like, Brother Ima, you just my boy, you deceive my boy. Brother Ima will say, let's go to court. 
Then I declare, you say, see, then sign. Now my own. So how would I have to, now, if there is no get anything, where you go use buy back the company? I just give and key. You don't know anything. You don't know anything. That's why I went to sell it to brother. So it is still me that we still now have to buy back the company. And it is the price that the new owner sets. That is the new price. Are you listening to me? So if the new owner says, well, this company can only be bought back if you die. Because I hate you so much, I want to kill you. That's the only way the company will return. Do you understand this now? When we say Jesus had to die, it's not, it's not just to make the drama sweet. No. It's redemption. Buying back what was sold off by Adam. Are you listening to me? So, the statement, Jesus dying for our sin, is a bit too shallow. You must understand the implication. Firstly, that the wages of sin is death. Are we still together? So, death was the only way man could be purchased or man could buy, could be bought back. Just like the illustration I gave right now. That was the only price. And it was something that man could not do for himself. Because man was sinful. And so, only a perfect sacrifice by the Lamb of God could be enough payment for sin. All of that was illustrated in the law when they did several sacrifices using bulls and goats according to Hebrews chapter 9. Are we still together here? Okay, 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 okay. But what I really want to say here is that this death, and I'm not going to emphasize it because it is probably one of the most emphasized subjects already, but this death was actually a means. So, death, yes, paid the price for sin, but did not make the price for sin tangible. Listen closely. Listen closely. Are we still together? I beg you, don't lose me, don't lose me. Just wait, wait on me. Now, in the old covenant, when they sacrificed blood and they killed, rather, sacrificed animals and spilled the blood of animals, it had to be done in a particular place. You cannot say, I have sinned. Bring any malu there, make a cut in neck. What do you do? You go to a place. There was a place. Everybody said the place. There's a place where sacrifices are accepted. You don't kill a goat in your room. I say, blood is blood. You go to a place. You go to a man, a priest. You do certain rituals, such as putting your hand on the head of the animal, which was symbolic of transferring your sin into the sin of the into the body of the animal. Are we still together? Then the animal is killed and then the blood is sprinkled on a particular place. 
There is a place the blood must be sprinkled. If you sprinkle out of your kitchen and you say, blood now, blood, God is everywhere. He not going to walk. In the same way, when Jesus died, blood was available, but blood was not applied on the cross. Follow closely. You can't apply blood on the cross. Where was the blood applied? Hebrews chapter 9 gives us a clue. And verse 20. Saying this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Speaking about the old covenant. Then likewise is sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. That is all the containers of the tabernacle. All the spoons and all of that. And according to the law, almost all things are purified without, with blood, rather. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Are we still together? Follow closely. Follow closely. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with this. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than this. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands. So Christ had to enter somewhere to offer his blood. However, he could not enter that place without death and without resurrection. Uh, because you must not come to that place without blood. Amen. The high priest enters with blood. You too, Jesus, if you are coming to the place, in, and this place is not a natural place, that's what Moses Tabernacle, this was the heavens itself. You must also come with blood. So death helped to achieve the blood. But the blood had to be carried to a place for your sins to really be dealt with. For your sins to be paid for. Jesus had to go to the... He had to resurrect and go to the heavens and offer that blood. Are we still together? For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the truth, but into a heaven itself. Everybody say heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay. So, now, death was a vehicle, amen, to make blood available. You cannot, as the priest, enter that heaven place where you need to speak blood without blood. I say, I shall come. Uh-uh. You must carry blood. And the blood had to be his own blood. So he died, gathered his blood, as it were, went to the heavens, and then sprinkled the blood. Are we still together here? Okay. However, one more thing about death I want to say here. Death was a proof that your sins have been put on Jesus. Listen, Jesus, I told you, came with a body that was innocent. That body could not die until sin touched it. Amen. Your proof that your sins were taken away from you is what? Jesus' is death. Jesus' is death. If Jesus did not die, it means that God has not yet put your sin on him. Because he had no sin. Amen. So he could not die. So God puts your sin on him. Then death could now go to work. So death is a proof 
that your sins have been put on him. Okay, let's go on to the most important part of the gospel, which is the resurrection. Just before the resurrection, there is the burial, which Paul also mentions in First Corinthians 15. But uh, what I just want to say about the burial is that it was prophesied. Isaiah 53. I like the fact that the burial of Jesus was also not just a fluke. Now, let it be clear, when the Roman government executed people by the cross, it was the most shameful death, and many people who were executed by the cross did not have a burial, per se. Why bury a rapist? Of what use is he? Why bury an amrobah? Burials are for honorable people. Do you understand me? Are we still together? Should we go on a commercial break? Some of you are not used to stretch stitches like this. So we have to put the drama inside. So that you can, can open your eyes again. But let's, let's just keep going. Tell your neighbor it is resurrection Sunday. Your mind is resurrected. Your mind is alive. So we hear the most beautiful story of all humanity. It's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story. And it concerns you. So, shouldn't it be boring? Is it boring? Okay, it be boring. Abba, 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 Abba. Glory to God. I was saying that the, the thing I want to mention about the burial of Jesus was that it was prophesied. Jesus was not supposed to be buried because he was crucified on the cross. And then he was crucified amongst criminals. And then came in Joseph of Arimathea who probably didn't even know he was fulfilling a prophecy. So Jesus died around 3 p.m., crucified at 12, died around 3. And the next day was the Sabbath. They could not bury on the Sabbath. Are you listening to me? The chances of his burial were very slim. But he had to happen to fulfill prophecy. He had to be buried. And not just buried, buried in a particular place. Isaiah 53. He was buried amongst the rich. Glory to God. Crucified with criminals, buried in the tomb of a rich man. A tomb that had never been used before. Put it as that 53. So the burial was not just a fluke event either. The details of the burial was a proof that everything was planned. Which verse now? Which verse now? Which verse now? Uh, verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Now the first made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, refers to the fact that he was crucified with criminals, but was... Now the, the thief besides him will not reach a man. So actually it is made him die with criminals, yet buried amongst the rich. That's what he's saying. And in those days, a criminal is not buried amongst the rich. No, it's a criminal. The, what they would do is just to dump them in the site. Mass burial, just dump them there. But this was prophecy. So the rich tomb of Jesus was also spoken about by the prophets so that you can know everything was planned. Now, the resurrection, this is the most emphasized 
event of the gospel in scriptures, actually. And we need to understand it well so that we can also emphasize it the most. Many of us emphasize the death, actually, and the death is not really the ultimate. Man had a sin problem and also had a death problem. Amen? The death of Jesus fixed the sin problem. The resurrection of Jesus fixed the death problem. You get forgiven because of Jesus' death. You receive eternal life because of his resurrection. People can be forgiven and not receive eternal life in a sense. And um, in fact, that's the sense in which young believers are currently in. They have been forgiven. Sins have been paid for. Sin has been dealt with. But eternal life to receive the life of God is a resurrection activated influence. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 actually makes it very clear that if you are going to be saved, you are not just supposed to believe in the divinity of Jesus or the humanity of Jesus or the death of Jesus, but you must believe in your heart that what? God has raised him from the dead. The resurrection is too crucial an event. In, in fact, the, what he asks you to believe, yeah, just for salvation is that he was risen from the dead. That's why the, the resurrection is the most opposed doctrine. Jesus rose from the dead. Nah. Does it make any meaning? Pray in tongues for one minute. Some of you have left. Come back, come back, come back, come back. Pray in tongues for one minute. Just one minute. One minute. If you pray in tongues, pray in tongues. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Holy Ghost, put over our souls and make it clear. Hallelujah. Okay. Let me let me go back a bit. This resurrection conversation is quite weighty. I may not exhaust it. So let me let me let me say a few things. I said I was going to try and answer what happened to Jesus when he died. Have you heard the phrase in scriptures, unto your hand I commend my spirit? So have you ever thought about it? What happened to Jesus when he died? Because we don't have time, but death happened, burial happened, but the burial only concerned his physical body. However, clearly something was happening somewhere where Jesus was. Where was Jesus? Some people have said that uh, Jesus went to heaven. Because of that statement, unto my hand I commend my spirit. Some other people have said this statement to portray that also. We'll read it and look at it closely. Luke 23, verse 43. With the thief, Jesus said something. Follow this verse closely. Please, let us be a little bit attentive. Please, I beg you. This is very, very dicey to understand this. Jesus said to him, I shortly. I said to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Follow, follow. If Jesus told the thief that he will be with him in paradise today, where did Jesus go after he died? Does that make any meaning? 
read the verse again, just in case we are missing something. <laughs> Alright, so now Jesus said to him, Everybody read, want to go. So let's just play around this verse a bit. Just play. Let's play. You like play? Let's play a bit. How about you move the comma after you to today? Move the comma from you to today. Let's read together now. Slowly. Read slowly. Calm down. Start reading from I say to you. Move the comma to... to, to. Don't, don't put the comma before. Don't put the comma after you. Put the comma after today. Let's see what it means. You know, if you read it like this, it means that today you will be in paradise. Is that not so? Yeah. Come on, talk to me. Try read it now, putting the command after today. Let's go. Assuredly. I said to you, I said to you, you will be with me. Change the perspective totally. So Jesus was saying, I did tell you now, say, you will be with paradise. He did not say, I did tell you, say, now you go. He was not saying the being in paradise was today. He was saying, I'm telling you today that you'll be in paradise. Are you following me? And this makes sense better. Because by the time we begin to read other verses of scriptures, and if you, if you hear the word of faith, teachers, Kenneth Hagin and Copeland teach it, it's in fact just a bit extreme. <laughs> but you, must, you have to understand that Jesus couldn't have died and gone to paradise to go and do what there. It's our man. When did he defeat Satan? When did he make an open show of them? When and where? He went to hell. Hallelujah. He went to hell. First verse of the three. And this is also controversial. In fact, the man Martin Luther said it is the most difficult verse of scripture to understand. <laughs> and if it's difficult for Martin Luther, well... Uh, you might also find it a bit difficult, but let's try and make sense out of it. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. Go to verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Oh, okay, so Peter is suggesting that the vehicle of death was so that Jesus will go somewhere. The spirits in prison here could mean two things. It could mean that believers who believed before the cross were kept in the bosom of Abraham. That's what the rich man and Lazarus' story suggests. Is that not so? That place called Bosom of Abraham was also under the earth. It was also in hell. But it was not a place of torment. There was just a small a, a divide that separated it. But they were in prison because... Listen, listen. Although they believed in Jesus, blood had not yet been shed for their sins. So they could not still go to heaven. Follow me closely. So when Jesus shed his blood and was going to go to heaven, he picked them along. 
So a priest to the spirit in prison could mean that. That's a possibility. However, the word spirit in prison suggests that it wasn't talking to human beings also. Because the phrase spirit, you don't really see mankind in the epistles spoken as that. So priest in prison could refer to demons, principalities. So when they say priest, what did it mean? Now the word preached here is not an evangelical term. In the Greek, it means to proclaim. Everybody say proclaim. So if he was talking about proclaiming to the saints that died before the cross, it meant he went there and his proclamation was the declaration of their freedom. I died and paid for your sins. Let's go. Okay? Or he was proclaiming victory to demon spirits, to satanic powers. And that proclamation was actually the expression of his victory. Are we still together? But ultimately it's clear that after Jesus died, he didn't go to paradise. He didn't. He went to hell, the place of the dead, either to release the saints or to pronounce and proclaim victory over demon spirits. Are we getting that now? So, all of that was happening before resurrection. Jesus died. There were many things happening under the earth. We did not know. There was no eyewitness account. That's why when you see the apostles now teaching the epistles about spiritual authority, it was by revelation they were now told this is what happened when Jesus died. He obtained our freedom. He purchased us in the market of Satan. He went there and bought us back and feed us. All those conversations, nobody saw it physically. But by revelation, Paul saw it. Are you listening to me? Let's try and go back to resurrection here now. So, resurrection, very crucial. And I was trying to explain that there was a death problem, there was a sin problem. Jesus' death fixed the sin problem. Jesus' resurrection fixed the death problem. That is, we can now have eternal life. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 13 to 14 makes it very clear about the crux of the resurrection. First Corinthians 15 and verse 14. Okay, 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. So preaching is empty if Christ had just died. And that's what I'm saying. You must see death as a vehicle. If Jesus had died and he did not rise from the dead, now one chance. If because he rose from the dead, that is why our preaching is not empty and our faith is not empty. Verse 14. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom we did not raise up. So we that are preaching are liars. Not only we, Jesus is also a liar because Jesus said, I will die and I will rise from the dead. If we cannot trust Jesus on resurrection, we can't trust him on anything. So if he said, I rise from the dead and he rose from the dead, and you need to believe him when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. You need to believe him. You need to believe him. You need to believe him. Are you listening to me? The resurrection is the proof that Jesus is trustworthy. Yeah. If the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, you have, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who are falling asleep in Christ have perished. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. 
5. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So the raising of Jesus was for our justification. It suggests this is where we now got to really pay the price. His death made the price available, but the payments, the bank had to be in heaven. He had to go to heaven after rising from the dead to really pay and justify us. I declare us not guilty. First place chapter 1 and verse 3. Very crucial also. Tells us how we became born again. Blessed be the God our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us. Everybody say, I've been begotten. So a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So the resurrection is responsible for the begetting. Are we still together? Yes, sin has been paid for all of that, yes, but the begetting, that born again experience is only from the womb of resurrection. To receive eternal life could only happen because of resurrection. Um, and then Romans chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4 also affirms that the resurrection is a proof of the divinity of Christ of the fact that he is of God. So in verse 3 it tells us concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So we have a physical lineage as it were. We say as it were because we know Joseph did not impregnate Mary. So although David in the counting of Jesus' ancestry is traced to David. But verse 4 now tells us, declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So the proof that Jesus is not just the Son of David, but also the Son of God, is the resurrection. Are we still together? Okay, let me try and tie this up here and mention a few things that will help us going forward here. So the resurrection is the proof that Jesus is God, so death could not hold him captive. The resurrection is proof that his sacrifice was perfect and accepted. And so, God was able to welcome him to heaven to offer up his blood as atonement for sin. The resurrection was also proven by the giving of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7 and verse 37. Or rather, the giving of the Holy Spirit is an affirmation of the resurrection and the ascension. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone tests, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow, or out of his belly, as the King James says it, rivers of living water. But this is faith concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Hallelujah. What is the glorification of Jesus? The resurrection of Jesus. Is that not so? We saw it in Psalm 8, verse 4. You have crowned him with glory and honor. It is a resurrection. To crown with glory and honor is a resurrection. Glory to God. Glory to God. So, the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet resurrected. The proof that Jesus resurrected is the giving of the Spirit. The giving of the Spirit is a proof that Jesus resurrected. But more importantly, that is proven in the fact that Jesus said he was the one that was going to send the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7. Now, look at these statements closely 
so you can appreciate resurrection more. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Do you does it make any meaning that, that, that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit from hell? Hello? So John was in hell. Now told if it's Holy Spirit. When did he send him? When he went to heaven. His ascension facilitated descending of the Spirit. Hallelujah. So your speaking tongue is a proof in a sense that Jesus rose and ascended. If he did not ascend, where you go see Holy Spirit to send? Are you following me? Let me say one or two things, one or two things here and then close it. Okay, okay. Now, the, 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 the implication of the resurrection, I think, is the most important thing. Let's try and drive that home. One proof, like I said earlier, that the resurrection happened is the changed life of the apostles. The witness is dead physically, and we read that in First Corinthians 15, Jesus himself took out time to appear to people about 500 people were appeared to. Afflicted from the dead. Thomas was doubting. He told him, touch my hand. See, 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 see. This is my body, but it is an upgraded version. Hallelujah. Yeah. I said, hallelujah. Yeah. But the approach of the apostles to life after the resurrection was another strong evidence of the resurrection. Because we know what happened at his death. They ran away. They went to hide. Peter went to fishing. How do you now explain the same Peter in Acts chapter 2 stand to 3,000 men and preach the gospel? Resurrection changed him. How do you think about Saul of Tarsus killing church people? Saul, Akpanyon, Saul. Now willing to die. He says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection to be conformable to his death. Ha! Kilo Saul. Resurrection. He saw the reason Jesus and his direction changed, his perspective changed, his life changed. But now, the implication of Jesus' resurrection, two or three things here. Number one, Jesus' resurrection is a proof that since he defeated death, nothing is too hard for him to defeat. Amen. Sickness, no, Jesus made. When Jesus was going to beat the enemy, he beats the biggest one. <laughs> so that you know that every other thing has not play. Are you following me? It be the biggest one. I will, I will deal with the biggest one so that any other one we're going to say, I just play. So nothing is close to Jesus' power. Nothing. And the resurrection is the proof. One last implication, Acts chapter 17 and verse 21, which is quite a sober one. Everybody say, He's alive. Paul was preaching here for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. And Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all these things you are very religious. For as I was passing through considering the objects of your worship, I haven't found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, he might proclaim to you. God 
who had made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now you see, worship with man's hands. Now this is Paul's attempt to explain the gospel. But he took it from the standpoint of their tradition and belief. And was going to link it somewhere. As doing it, and since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. Wow. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. That was what their poets said. Therefore, since we are, we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these things, or that truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Everybody say by the man. God will judge the earth by the man. Whom he has ordained, and, and that's why when you, we are teaching the whole gospel, some people think that there should be no element of the message of judgment in the gospel. Nah, that's not how Paul preached it. That's not how Paul preached it. There are consequences. You see, we explain all of these things to you so that you understand. If you are not saved and you are listening to me, I just didn't church, Jambori, you understand that when you stand before Jesus, you will have no excuse. Like, come on, we need everything for you. What's the problem? Everything was done for you. You have no excuse. That's why we are thoroughly explaining it. We are pissing it in the versions. Do you get it now? Yeah. And there is a consequence here. He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this. How? By raising him from the dead. So listen to me. You are not going to meet a dead Jesus. Hello? He died on the cross. That's the way the story ends. He rose from the dead for judgment. Listen to me. Listen to me. All the dying on the cross, carrying the blood to heaven, all the atonement was for your good. But if anybody says, I'm not still hungry, I don't believe, you will meet him alive. You will meet him alive. It's not a fairy tale. You will meet him alive. This Jesus you don't take seriously. He's risen, you know. He's risen, you know. The story does not end with the grave. It's not one week Jesus who we are crying for. Hey, he died. They kill him. Hey! That's the way the story ends. This Jesus is the judge of all the world. And you had better believe him. You had better believe him. You had, you had better believe him. <laughs> you had better believe him. You had better take him seriously. God appointed him as the judge of all the world. And the proof that it was the judge was that he was risen from the dead. Look at verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. They didn't mock at the idea of him dying. Maybe Paul didn't even mention that, per se. Paul went straight to the resurrection. Bam! <laughs> that was where he pained them the most. Says that I mean, Jesus is alive. He lives right now. 
as the mediator between God and men. But he also lives as the judge of all the world. Yeah. You give an account of your life to that Jesus. It's not the dead Jesus you go. You know, you know, go to the grave of their grandparents and say, Oh, we miss you, Grandpa. Hello! The Jesus you would meet in that life. And you, you, you would look at him eye to eye and say, This is what I did with my life. That's something serious to consider. <laughs> he's reading. He's reading. As George, he's waiting for you. You give an account. Christian, brace up. Brace up. He didn't look at all he went through. Look at. We didn't want them to explain the death as the punishment of sin, which was actually your sin. And you don't know how grave your sin is until you consider the punishment of death. You see how the Roman cross was a very terrible punishment. All the stripes, all the spitting, all the shame, all the sorrow. We, we didn't worry, Isaac was still again. All the griefs and sorrow that he bore because of our sin. He was afflicted because of our sin. You don't, take, you, don't make, you don't make that a joke. You don't take that lightly. You take it seriously. You take it seriously. You take it soberly. Stand to your feet. It's a good time to just affirm your commitment to Jesus. Jesus, I belong to you. Now you get me. Now you get me, Jesus. Now you get me. You own me, Jesus. You bought me. You redeemed me. You died for me. You rose for me. You rose with me. Come on. All I have is yours. All I have is yours. Every moment spent on earth is for you, Jesus. Every moment spent on earth is for you, Jesus. Every moment spent on earth is for you, Jesus. I belong to you. 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 You've done enough to end my worship for life. You've done enough to end my praise for life. You've done enough to end my focus for life. And you are my obsession, Jesus. Because you were mindful of me. You make me your obsession. I make you my obsession. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. No one else is worthy of my worship, of my life, of my commitment. But Jesus. But Jesus. But Jesus. But Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Sing this song if you know a very simple song.
trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedbacks. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.